Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. The Old Testament gives us the story of a man named Daniel who found himself in a position full of temptation at every turn. He had multiple opportunities to exchange God's way for another path, an exchange he never made, and God honored him for it. We face choices that can shape our destiny, and far too frequently, we take the path of least resistance. Let's learn from Daniel's courage and find the faith to avoid the traps of the exchange. Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Good? Well, as I told you, Y'all look great. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you look fantastic. If somebody hasn't told you that today yet, you look pretty. <laughs> hey, um, I know what I'm about to ask is impossible for a lot of people, and I'm not saying this to um, put pressure on, on anybody or anything like that, but if you haven't noticed, um, this service is getting a little out of control in a lot of good ways, but just in, in just sheer numbers. Um, uh, you know, when you're when you packing out the liquor store parking lot, you have in church. That's a good day. <laughs> uh, and, but here's the other thing, too. Like, it's also just making it really hard um, on, on some of our space, just mainly our, our kids' ministry. Um, and our kids' ministry is just booming. And uh, just so you know, like, we protect your kids and your kids' safety, and our investment in them matters. Uh, we, Sunday mornings, yeah. Uh, we don't just take care of your kids so that you can come in here and worship. There are volunteers on the other side of that wall that are pouring into them, investing in them, teaching Jesus. We're not just babysitting for an hour and 15 minutes so you can have church. We're laying a foundation of faith for those kids that is going to build a generation that makes, up, makes us look really bad because they're going to be that awesome. But because of all that, there's times when for safety issues, those rooms get full. And so if you're a parent and, and if you ever see kids in the room, a lot of times because they went to go check their kid in and that room was just full and they had to close it. If you're a parent and that ever happens to you, can I just say give us some grace and, and understand that we're doing that because we love you and we love your children and we don't want to put them in an environment that's not good or safe for them. That's not because we don't love you. It's because we love you so much. We, we don't want to put them in that space. And so if that ever happens to you, like, would you just give us some grace? And if, if it is possible for you to maybe um, uh, at least every once in a while worship in a different uh, gather, gathering time. Uh, we understand like, that for a lot of people that's just not even possible. Like, I mean, you're like, Matt, I just sat down five minutes ago. Like, I just got here. And we get it. We understand that. And so for some of the people, we're, that's not to guilt you or pressure you. But if one of the other gatherings could maybe, would you pray about if that would work in your schedule um, just so that we can uh, alleviate some of this pressure? Um, I hope you hear my heart in that. That's not to guilt anybody or put pressure on anybody. But um, we've only just begun reaching people for Jesus in this community. So it ain't going to get any better. It's just going to get worse because there's still people who need Jesus, and we're going to keep reaching them. Come on, somebody. Let's go. So, all right. You ready to dive in the word? All right, let's go. Uh, go to Daniel chapter 6. I want you to go ahead and go there because we're going to spend the majority of our time in Daniel chapter 6. I'm going to get there in just a minute, but if you want to go ahead and pull it up on your phone or if you have a physical Bible, um, awesome, open that up. Or just go to the notes tab uh, on uh, the Vintage app and you can, you can do that as well. Uh, but this series is rooted in Romans chapter 1. I, mean, I know I told you, Matt, you said go to Daniel. I'm going to get there, but I'm going to read Romans 1 to start. And this 
is what it says. Romans chapter 1, pick up with verse 22. It says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Paul's writing a letter to the church in Rome. The people who have decided to follow Jesus and just so happened to found themselves living in one of the most hip happening and pagan cities in all the world, in Rome. At this time, Rome is anything but Christian. <laughs> uh, and so the believers in Rome find themselves living in a culture that's going against the grain of Scripture. Like the flow of culture is the exact opposite of the flow of Scripture. And so Paul is writing to a group of people, and they're having to live out their faith in a culture that's going to make it difficult and almost impossible. Like the church in Rome found themselves, culture was flowing one direction. And to follow Scripture, they had to go in the other. And that's a difficult place to live. Anybody feel like that's kind of the world that you live into? Like, yeah, you live... If y'all going to clap, I ain't going to turn down a clap. Y'all just go right ahead. I'm just fine. Uh, we find ourselves living in a culture so often it feels like it goes against everything that we believe in. And we find ourselves, whether it be the culture of our office, the culture of our neighborhood, the culture of our school, maybe in the culture of your home, is going the opposite direction of what you feel like God wants for you in your life based on what you see in his word. And it's easy to go with the flow, isn't it? Because the, going with the flow is the path of least resistance. And it's easy to get caught up in the undertow of po a popular opinion even in the culture that we live in. Because every day, if you decide, if you make the decision that you're going to live for Jesus, if you're going to follow God, if his word is going to be the driving force in your life, and if you claim Jesus, the Bible is what you go to to form all of your opinions on all of area of your life. Like, you know, and, and the Bible is not Golden Corral, where you get to pick what you want and leave what you don't. Like, you've, you've got to, you got to dive through it, and you've got to understand it, and you've got to dig into it, and it needs to be the driving force behind your life, because every day, life will drop you at the intersection of truth and lie. And in that moment, you've got to make a decision, which way you're going to go? Which way you're going to go? And the goal of this series is to get us to be, be in a position where we don't make a bad exchange, that we don't exchange God's truth for culture's lies that we don't go the direction of the culture just because it's easiest and it's convenient, but we stand on the word of God and we follow it in every arena of our lives. That the goal of our lives is to live in obedience to God, but not just live in obedience to God, but doing it in a way that doesn't destroy our influence with others. That this is the goal of our life, live in obedience to God, that no matter what, like no matter which way culture is flowing, which way direction the culture is going, like we stay obedient to God, but all at the same time, doing it in a way that doesn't destroy our influence with others. Like, that's our hope. That's our goal. It's, yeah, we want to live in obedience to God, but do it in a way that doesn't destroy our influence with other people. That we stand up and we stay up, but without stomping on other people. And the reason why I felt led to do this series is because I think so often what I see happening in our culture is we stand up and it's like we've gotten okay with stomping. We, we have even, I hear people say all the time, well, I don't care how mad I make people. Well, you should. Come on. 
Because we said it last week, the reality is God has chosen you and I to be the vehicle to carry his message to the world. Like, I wish he would have chose a better vehicle than me, but he did. And so my influence matters because that culture that we're trying to live in that's going against everything we believe in, Jesus died for them too. And it's important that they know his truth as well. And we're the ones that have the opportunity and the obligation to show it to them. And so if we live in a way that is obedient to God, but, and, and I've said it every week, that offended may be the result, but it can never be our intent. There will be times when you stand for your faith and some people find it offensive. That may be the result, but it should never be the intent. You never have permission from God to use his truth as a club to beat people to death with. Like you don't. And like some people say, well, Matt, like that's just, it's impossible. In the world we live in, the culture we live in, there's just no way to live in obedience to God and not just offend everybody. Yeah, there is. You know why? Because people in the Bible did it. Well, our culture is probably just as bad. Again, I'll tell you, I, I stop saying, oh, it's just so bad, it's, it's so bad, it's, it's just get. It's always been bad. Since the fall, it's been bad. And it's going to continue to be bad. Like the, cult the culture that Paul wrote to in Rome, they were, cuckoo. I mean, they were out there. I mean, if you go read, about, I, I don't have time to get into all the stuff that was happening in Rome in this time, in this century, and how crazy and out there some of their philosophies and ideas were. But there was a group of people that, in the Old Testament especially, lived in the culture without being conformed by it. They, they stood up to it without stomping out their influence. Matter of fact, they did it with such grace and such consistency. Not only did they not lose influence, they gained it. Not only did they not destroy their influence, they lived in such a way that like, it, their influence increased, their influence grew. And so we've been studying the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These young men who find themselves most likely as teenagers plucked from their homes, taken a thousand miles away, and just dropped into a culture that was against everything they'd ever believed in. And the stories of Daniel that we've been looking through as we watch these young men stand in a way that, yes, does not compromise truth, but also does not destroy their influence. And they begin to have an impact on the culture they're in instead of that culture having an impact on them. And once again, we're going to dive back into Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 6. Pick up with verse 3. It says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps of his exceptional, by his exceptional qualities that the king pro, uh, planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Write down the word prolonged. Prolonged. Daniel had not just a stance for a moment, for a season, but for generations. He had an extended stand. At this point that we're reading in Daniel chapter 6, Probably generations have go, decades have gone by since we got first introduced to Daniel. At this point, King Nebuchadnezzar, who we met in Daniel chapter 1, y'all with me, y'all remember, say amen? King Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon, when, when Daniel first got taken to, to, to Babylon, he's already gone. He's dead. Like, he went, literally, he lost his mind. 
Like, he had this dream that this thing would happen, and Daniel interpreted that his hair would start growing like feathers, and he would start grazing from grass on the ground. That's pretty cuckoo, right? I mean, and that's exactly what happens. And then not only does he end up going crazy, his son takes over, makes some really bad decisions, and he ends up being uh, overthrown and, and, and moves out and, and, and dies as well. And now there's a guy that's king of Babylon, a guy by the name of Darius. So it's been decades. Daniel's not a young man anymore. He's, a, he's moving on throughout life. And even though there's been decades removed from us first meeting Daniel in the stand he stuck in chapter 1 when he refused to eat the royal food and follow what God wants, now it's generations later and Daniel's still standing. That's the kind of people God's looking for. People that won't just stand for a moment, won't just stand for a season, but will endure generation after generation after generation. Like this prolonged stand. See, anybody can stand for a moment. Any, and a lot of people can even stand for a season. But I'm talking about standing year after year after year, no matter what life throws at you, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how much things change, no matter who's in power. Who you're called to be isn't dependent on all those other circumstances. If you want to have a prolonged stance, you do it for generation to generation to generation. That's what Daniel did. Like in ministry, I've been, I've seen it happen. I've seen people that can stay faithful for a year or two years. Maybe even, I've known people that, that were living for the Lord and for, after about a five-year period, all of a sudden life kind of went sideways and maybe things didn't turn out like they thought it would, it would or maybe they had a loss or something like that and next thing you know, they in, tried to endure something that derailed their faith. And God's looking for people that if we're going to make a difference in our culture, it doesn't matter if it's five years or ten years like we walk that consistent walk. That prolonged stance. And here, Daniel has done it. And you notice what happens? Like he's, he's all, all of a sudden under the rule of another king. And he, he gets this position of power, this position of success. And to me, that's just a reminder. Like you can succeed in this world and still do it God's way. Don't let the culture lie to you that you have to compromise your faith to have success. First of all, it's okay, believer. You can experience success in this world. It's okay to be successful. The reason why I say that is because it's almost like, you know, we, we've kind of poo-pooed people as they're being successful. We make excuses. Well, wonder who they had to sleep with to get to that position. <laughs> Got real in church all of a sudden, didn't it? How many lies did they have to tell to get there? That's what they were doing to Daniel. You know, if, if, if God has blessed you, give him honor and glory for that. Because you know what I found? It's hard to be, it's hard to feel guilty and gratitude at the same time. So if God has blessed you with things, no, you don't deserve it, neither do I. I'm sure you probably worked hard for it just like the rest of us. Give God honor and glory and give him the credit. It's almost like we, we're afraid to enjoy what God's given us. Am I making sense? Is that a little rabbit trail I just chased? Did we catch it? Okay, let's keep going. Prolonged. But you also have to understand that, like, when you experience that stuff from God, there's going to be people that look at you and look at it, and whether out of jealousy or ignorance, they don't want you to have it. Do you notice what happens when, Darius, when, when Daniel gets to this position? 
there are people that are around him that are jealous of what he's, he's achieving, and they're determined to rob him of it. And most often people are je- you know, I found that people don't get mad when you do what you're supposed to do. People get mad when you don't do what they want you to do. That's good preaching, Tony. I mean, like you ever notice that? People don't get mad when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. They get mad when you're not doing what they want you to do. And people aren't jealous of what you have unless they don't have it too. And there was a group of haters that rose up to come after Daniel. They were jealous of the power, the position that he had, and they made it their life's mission to come after him. Look at verse, uh, verse 5 of Daniel chapter 6. It says, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now I find that interesting. Like these guys were so determined to come after Daniel that like, they started digging into his life. They started trying to figure out where they could find flaws. And it's interesting, the closer they got to Daniel, they didn't find flaws. They only got frustrated. Because Daniel was so consistent in the way that he lived that the closer they got, the more it affirmed what they thought they knew about him. I want that to be true for me. That the people who know me best respect me the most. Because far too often, the closer we get to somebody, the more disappointed we get in who they are. Come on. Any ugly girl can look pretty from a mile away. (laughs) And anybody can look holy from a distance. But when somebody steps into the inner circle of your life, is what every, I always have, is what my wife and kids think about me better or worse than what our church thinks about me? Those who they see me at my worst, they see me every day. They're the closest to me. What they found is the closer they got to Daniel, all it did was affirm what they thought they knew. So they thought, well, we'll get close to him because Daniel got to be too good to be true. We'll get in there. We'll find something. We'll dig and we'll dig and we'll dig. And what they found is Daniel lived with such honor and such integrity and such consistency. The closer they got, the more frustrated they became. That's the kind of people that we need in the world if we're going to shift the culture in a different direction. See, it's easy to stand in here and lift your hands and praise God and pretend to be a Christian. But if we step into your private places, if we go into those moments that nobody else wants, maybe you want to see, what will it reveal about who we are? Come on. But what they found in Daniel was, and this is another word, it's not on the screen, it should have been, it should have been a point I added. Write down predictable. Predictable. Now, a lot of us see predictable as a bad word, but Daniel lived with such consistency that the only way they could, they said the only way we can come after him is to make a law against his God because he is so predictably obedient to his God. The only way we can move him is to get him to not do something that he's always done. I want to be predictable. Don't you want to, like you ever met people like you never know, like, oh, are we going to get crazy Matt today or are we going to get calm Matt? Like we're going to have to walk on eggshells or is it going to be Okay. Like, just kind of, like, Daniel was just that stead, steadfast person that we talked about last week, that steady. Like, he was just always honoring God. And they're like, he, they, he was so predictable. They thought the only way we can get him and bring him down is to try to challenge him in his obedience to his God. Write down the word pressure. 
Because when you live in that place and you build that reputation of someone who consistently and faithfully follows Jesus and the eyes on you begin to grow, pressure will build. And I think the reason why so many people don't have a prolonged stance is because they can't take the pressure. I think a lot of us find ourselves at that intersection of truth and lie. And the reason why we try lie is not because we believe the lie, but because we're just too weary to follow the truth. Because the pressure is just so much. Let me tell you something, man. If, if you make it known that you follow Jesus and you take a stand from him, like the pressure that's going to be built on you is more than like you can even understand. Have you ever felt that? Just like the pressure to, like, to keep doing what you know you're supposed to do because you have to, to, to be the leader in your family or the leader of a church or you have to, like you, that pressure that you feel. Men in this room, when you're called to be the spiritual leader of your family, if you don't feel that pressure, I want you to feel it right now in this moment. And so many reasons why I think men fail their families is because they can't take the pressure. Y'all with me? I never, you know, it's... Y'all heard me say when I was 16 years old, I preached my very first sermon. I should have never been on a platform preaching a sermon to anybody at that point in my life. It was one of those youth Sundays where, like, you just, for some reason, thought it was a good idea to turn the entire church over to the youth. We will never do that here. Um... <laughs> And they chose me to preach the sermon, and it was the worst sermon in the history of preaching. And I'll never forget, like that night, I, said, I, I felt the Lord speaking in my spirit, like, this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And then after that, everybody was like, you're going to be a preacher just like your dad. And, and, like, and all these things started being like, said and that kind of stuff. And I was like, I just felt this pressure to be a preacher and this pressure to be good and this pressure to do all the right things. Can anybody relate? Am I making any sense? Come on. Um, and just felt all this pressure to the point where, like, I was like, no. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make myself so dirty and so messed up that people will stop asking these things of me. So I started doing a lot of really dumb things and making a lot of bad decisions. And I got in a relationship with a girl that I'm convinced was some form of a demon. And <laughs> did. Because I just couldn't. I just couldn't take the pressure anymore. And, like, you need to know that. Like, if you're going to constantly stand for Jesus, if you're going to constantly walk and live out your faith in a culture that's not going to understand it, that maybe even is jealous of it, if, if at best just ignorant of it, then, then like, the pressure that you're going to feel some days is going to be stronger than you can even understand. Testify somebody. I mean, it's, it, it's going to be difficult. And you've got to know that, and you've got to withstand it when it comes. But these guys were determined. Like, they were determined to bring Daniel down. And so again, they come up with the only way they can. Look what they do. Go to chapter 6, verse 6. It says, These administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that, king, that the king shall issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. See, they knew that the, like Daniel was so predictable, the only way to come after him was to challenge his prayer life. 
And so they, hey, king, this is what we need to do. Make a decree that for the next 30 days, that if anybody prays, it has to be to you. And if anybody prays to any other thing, God, human, whatever, other than you, for the next 30 days, they're going to be thrown into the lion's den. Like literally the punishment would be there would be a hole or a place where they would fill it with lions. Like legit lions. Main lions. <laughs> and if you didn't follow the decree, you'd be thrown into the den with these hungry lions, which of course would rip your flesh apart and you would die. Now, when a decree comes out like that, I think the natural re reaction for a believer who's being challenged in this way is protest. Like, right? Like, I think that's kind of like our natural state is, okay, we cannot stand to be told what not to do. It's something that we learned as a kid. Like, like the moment you tell us not to do something, guess what we want to do? We want to do it. You remember, like, if you got, like, don't touch that. And, like, probably wasn't going to touch it anyway because you told me I can't touch it. That makes me want to touch it. That's kind of how we're wired, right? Like, we just want to, we have this rebellious spirit kind of in us to a degree. Anybody feel me? Like, like, like you were, I wasn't going to do that anyway, but now that you told me I can't, <laughs> I'm going to do it. And this is kind of, and, and when you look at Daniel's response, and here's, here's a part of the story that we're, that, man, God has really wrecked me over the last couple weeks. I've heard this story my whole life. Like, I, I grew up in Sunday school, oh, Daniel and Eliza and these cute little kitties. And like, no, they, that was gross. I mean, they were vicious. And if you look at what Daniel does, it almost on the surface appears as an act of protest. Look at it. Go to Daniel chapter 6, pick up with verse 10. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. You go, Daniel. Like, that's kind of, when I first read that, I'm like, yeah, Daniel, you show up. Like, not only are you going to go pray, you're going to go, you're going to go up in the room, you're going to open the windows loud as you can three times a day, praying out to God where everybody can hear me. Make a decree telling me I can't pray. I'm going to pray. Like, that's how we feel, right? Like, it's like this, this defiant, defiant act of protest. Like, yeah, like Daniel heard this decree, and his response is, I'm going to show them. And I think maybe the reason why that's the way we often read it is because that's kind of the way we function as a culture. Uh, you know, it seems like to me that when we stand for our faith the most, or maybe the only time we stand for our faith is when we feel like somebody's trying to take it away. But to me, that's a little bit scary. And if I'm honest, it's a little bit disingenuous. Like, it's crazy. You let something come across the news about a law that's been passed or something like that that threatens our, our faith or against the position we take, all of a sudden, boom, social media blows up. You know what I always think? Where were you before that? Why are you vocal now? You ain't said a word about that ever. And now you fired up. Is this about obedience or is this just outrage? And I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's not a time when that needs to happen. But to me, like, like this, that's not, what, that's not what's happening here. 
Because the last phrase that you maybe noticed or didn't notice that I didn't read, you got to look at. It says, Daniel went up, threw open those windows, faced Jerusalem, three, prayed three times a day, just as he had done before. Like this wasn't in response to the decree. This is just what Daniel did. This is just what Daniel had always done. This wasn't an act of defiance. This was a continued act of obedience. Like he didn't pray in defiance. He was praying out of obedience. That prayer time was not driven in defiance to what culture was doing. It was in obedience as to what God had already said. And maybe we can make a difference in our culture if the only time we pray is we, or we push back or we talk about what we believe is out of defiance because we feel threatened instead of out of obedience because we love God, then we got a problem. I feel like that's kind of where we've slipped into, right? It's like every time... Something happens at a school. People talk, well, we should have never took prayer out of schools. What we need is prayer in schools. As long as there is math, there will be prayer in schools. (laughs) But you know what? You know what I hear that? We need prayer in schools. You know what we need? We need prayer in homes. You're talking about prayer in schools. When's the last time you prayed with your kids in your house? All we do is teach the Bible in school. Do you teach it in your living room? I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but maybe we're starting from the wrong place. And maybe if we were more like Daniel, we could make the kind of difference that Daniel made. See, Daniel, Daniel's decision to go up into that room and pray was not driven by defiance to the culture. It was out of the obedient love for God that he had had all throughout his life. This was just another day for Daniel. It's what he did. Every single day, three times a day, he threw that window open, bowed toward Jerusalem, and he prayed. Not because the culture told him not to, but because God had already written on his heart that he should. And that's what built the kind of character in a man to be able to face what was coming next. See, nothing frustrated Jesus more than people doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Go back to what Jesus said about the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. It says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. In other words, like they're doing the right things. They're they're, they're going through the motions. They're doing all the things that they've been told to do, but they're not doing it because they love me. They're doing it for some other reason. And if Daniel had dropped to his knees just out of defiance of, of, of the culture and not out of obedience to God, that does not make God's heart move. It's because that's what he's always done. And maybe you know the rest of the story. Maybe you don't. King Darius hears that this is happening. And it says in verse 14, When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Isn't that interesting? 
that Daniel had defied Darius's order, and yet Darius is the one that's fighting for Daniel. It shows the kind of impact that Daniel had on Darius. Like, even though they had two different belief systems, and even though they came from two different places, and even though he's about to throw him in the den, you see it's not something that he, in his heart, really wants to do because he's, he's been sick. Maybe he's not there yet. He doesn't believe quite in Daniel's God just yet. But Daniel has made a difference because Daniel never lived his life trying to make a point. He lived his life trying to make a difference. And you see that dent happening in the life of Darius already. But, of course, Darius gets pressure. And in verse 16, it says, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And just like that, Daniel's about to find himself thrown in the den with hungry lions. Right down the word persecution. And I know that's a word that you hear, but for the purposes of what we're talking about today, let me, let me distinguish the difference. See, when you receive a penalty for doing the right thing, that's not punishment from God, that's persecution. Say amen, you with me? Again, I'll say it. You can do the right thing and still things go wrong. You never see Daniel think, well, I'll just be an obedient God. You're really going to let me go down in the den. No. And it says after he threw him in the den, Daniel, uh, Darius goes home, and all night long he can't sleep. He's wrestling with what's just happened. Again, you just, it shows more and more the impact that Daniel had on Darius. Here a king with all this power is defied, and all he can think about is the punishment that now that Daniel's having to go through. The difference that Daniel had made in his life. And you know, what you notice is when Daniel gets thrown into that, that, that den, he never looks at Darius and curses him. He never, you don't have to fight for yourself when God can fight for you. Amen. And there's sometimes that we're fighting battles that we just need to leave to God. And then look what happens. After a long night, sleepless night for Darius. It says in verse 19, at first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Now I find this puzzling. Because you know what? If I'm Darius, I know if this wasn't a, Daniel wouldn't be the first one to be thrown into the lion's den. Like, they just didn't think this up in this decree. This would have been a form of punishment that they would have used before. And I would think pretty much every time, there ain't no reason to go to the tomb and ask somebody, are they still alive? It's just, let's go clean up the mess. But Darius gets up, and he runs to the grave or to the, to the tomb and where, where this, with the pit where he's been thrown in line. He says, Daniel, you still there? You still alive? You know what that says to me? There was something that Darius was beginning to somewhat believe that Daniel's God might be capable of more than he thought. Ooh, that's how Daniel lived. And like maybe he wasn't there yet, but the way that Daniel lived, he lived in such a way that he caused Darius, at least for a moment, to consider maybe that Daniel will serve such a great God that even though Daniel got thrown in the den, his God had the ability to save him. So he says, Daniel, you alive in there? Verse 21, 
Daniel answered, may the king live forever. And then Darius peed his pants because that never happened before. <laughs> A ghost is calling. He says, my God sent his angel. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. Do you see even the, the grace with which he treats Darius even in that moment? Write down the word provision. Because God's provision is always for those who are faithful, who prolong in their stance with him, endure the pressure Respond with prayer instead of protest. God will provide. And see, what I think Darius never realized was all he was doing was throwing a lion to the lions. See, I don't think that Darius realized that Daniel too was a lion. He was what's described in Psalm 28, verse 1. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. See, the reality is you may never get thrown into a pit with lions, like a physical pit. But you face lions every single day if you choose to follow Jesus. Because Scripture says that you have an enemy and that he prowls around like a lion looking to devour you. So at every turn, he's coming at you, that lion, in a form of some temptation or some battle or some situation that is difficult. But you need to know the reason why you can face the lions is because you're one too. And when the lion roars at you, you don't have to roar back. You just stand there regally knowing that you are who God says you are and you have every bit of strength necessary to shut his mouth. But lions aren't born. Lions are bred in those upper rooms on your knees day in and day out. See, Daniel didn't become a lion overnight. Daniel had been building into a lion year after year after year as he remained faithful to God and continued to seek him no matter what it cost him, no matter how difficult it was, no matter what other people thought, no matter how many times people came at him, he just continued to grow in his relationship with God and he built the strength of a lion so that when he fell into the den, he was not scared. And if you're going to defeat the lions that the enemy's going to throw at you so that you can stand up and stay up and do it without stomping all over other people, you've got to let God build a lion. And why don't we just start today? Would you bow your head, close your eyes with me? I think Daniel built himself into a lion. He was transformed because he constantly put himself in the presence of the transforming God. That it wasn't the first time after that decree that he knelt three times a day, cried out to God and sought him. That that was his regular practice. And if you're going to become the lion that you need to be to withstand the threats that are going to be thrown at you, you've got to do the same. So why don't you start right now, right in this room, praying right now, asking God to give you strength and wisdom to build in you the character to withstand whatever comes your way so that you do it with grace and humility. Daniel's story still puzzles me, man. 
He was able to live and stay true to God and still have an impact on others. He never was bitter. He never told people how evil they were. He just kept showing them how good God was. And he made a difference. And you got a culture that you're about to enter when you leave this building and you step out there that needs you to live the same way. But it's got to be built in you. It comes from the inside out. As the Spirit works in your life, and it only happens when you put yourself in a position to surrender. God will give you a position of, of victory when you assume a position of surrender on your knees before Him, allowing Him to work in your life. God, move in this room. Do what only you can. Work, God, right now. Build in us the courage of the righteous lions that you've said we could be and have called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.